This is Beyond Species, a podcast exploring issues around speciesism and the struggle to dismantle it. Tofu Steve, and welcome to the episode. In this episode, we hear from Julia, who is based in Italy and part of the anti-speciesist collective Insectionals. We hear from Julia about the need for direct action, but also for effective public education, some of the issues around humans being centred in the movement, and the importance of anti-speciesist language. Also, the need for a closer look at the theory and approaches often used in the animal rights movement. So if you want to start then by telling us about your activism, how you got into it. Yeah, sure. I became vegan when I was 15 years old in 2013, but I became an activist only some years ago and then also a militant around one year and a half ago, so a bit later. My activism uh, started a bit later because activism in Italy wasn't mainstream until big groups, international groups, came here too. It was not accessible and easy to join the movement and Since I was a student in high school, I wanted to be a part of it. But I had no opportunities since actions were taken offer too far from the city I live in. When I um, officially started, my activism was not um, defined by a single approach. Mm -hmm. I started, for example, with... Um, disruptions at uh, circuses, meat markets, fur shops. I joined marches. And then when mainstream groups came here, I joined them. Mm-hmm. I grew up a lot, but I think not because those types of activism were effective, but because I have always found them not enough for the movement. I used to see the glass as it is half empty. So I've seen uh, where groups were missing something, where strategies were not so effective, etc. So that's why after years of experiencing uh, different forms of activism, I decided to live. I have always studied a lot to be more effective. For example, doing outreach, talking in schools and at marches. And this is one of the main problems inside our movement. Big, large groups are heterogeneous. They welcome people of all kinds by they don't give them support to grow up, to, to learn. So when you, lose, when you learn something, it's not because of those groups, but because of yourself. Mm. 
So because you are angry of will to improve, to learn, to do better for the movement, I criticized a lot the same groups I was joining in in the past, um, and I received I received um, a lot of criticism too. That's what that was not so easy when you criticize and ask others to do the same for their good. You are a problem. You are not welcome. They give you pressure so you can live and don't, they don't have to make you live. So their image is clean. Mm. Okay, so um, big groups don't care about being effective. They talk about it, but it's all marketing, I think. Mm. They work as they are big companies, like big companies in economy do. Uh, they care about numbers, and you are not an activist for them. You are you are a number. They open a lot of groups, like multinational companies do. They have hierarchies. They have policies to keep you silent and quiet when you need to ask something or criticize something they just ignore you because they think they are effective Mm. and i think um, a lot of groups focus on vegan propaganda white veganism in their approach so even if activism became more ef- more effective because it uh, became accessible, I think our movement gained a lot of infighting, human centrism and saviorism, mainstream propaganda, and a wrong interpretation of what anti-speciesism is. Mm. So... That's why I I created um, a new group with other people that were basically uh, fed up of the situation in Italy, and mm-hmm. our our group is is in sectionals. So mm-hmm. um, maybe I can talk about it. Yeah. So. I just wanted to pick up on one thing you said there, which I agree with, which is that um, the vegan, like the mainstream vegan movement doesn't really have a good anti-speciesist approach. In fact, I would say that the understanding of speciesism or oppression in general is not very well known amongst these larger kind of multinational um, activist groups. So that's kind of one of the main reasons that you decided that you would rather focus on working with a smaller group of people that was more local and not about this kind of franchise-based activism. So Insectionals is a collective of a, a small group of people then. Yeah. From the disappointment, we decided to create 
a new approach, a new group, and we hope to inspire others to do the same, to create their own local groups. And I'm not saying that our method is the right one, but I'm saying that here the pressure of change is is huge. So here it's it's good, we think, and a lot of people are asking us to join the group. Mm-hmm. And so since we opened officially so two months, I think, around two months, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, people um, are happy because the situation in Italy is is not good since a lot of years mm. and big groups actually destroyed what activism was before but what activism was before um, they came here was not um, like the the movement was not united okay so um, maybe people could uh, join marches and those were the only opportunities to be together mm. in other situations uh activists used to just be few people okay and do this or that but mm. it was not something systemic it was difficult to find um maybe a disruption or an event okay mm-hmm. it was something uh people did sometimes not often okay so it was like there wasn't like um kind of strategy it was just yeah. like kind of one-off actions now and then yeah exactly uh-huh. okay is that are you saying that is that before the you know the big groups arrived or is that because of them uh, I think both, okay. mm, because the situation was dramatic, but with big groups, we had a pacifist wave that denied direct actions, mm. etc. So this is a problem because it creates infighting. And here, people that are nonviolent criticize uh, the animal liberation front and it's it's a problem <laughs> because it is i think the one of the most important things to to keep on doing hmm. yeah i think the thing about non-violence versus violence is such a problem for the whole movement because obviously i mean almost all of the well i suppose all of the the big um groups stick very strictly to non-violence only and are critical of anything that kind of suggests violence yeah. but the definition of violence is very unclear and so a lot of the the groups will do like non-violent direct action which is fine but yeah it's a difficult one so you said that um the the non-violent groups um would 
would be critical of ALF actions in the past. Yeah. The ALF weren't really violent either, I guess. But that comes down to what you think violence is like. Obviously, I think most people who kind of support the ALF and direct action would say that things like um, breaking, oh, I'm not going to be specific, things like um, economic damage to property is not actually violence. Yeah, um, I agree with you, but um, here nonviolent um, groups think that, um, I don't know, burning down cages and maybe farms, they think it's a violent act. Mm. So they just keep on saying it and everyone that is doesn't agree with them is like marginalized. Mm. So this mm. is a big problem because, yeah, I, I think we should do what is better for us, but also do also what's the best for the movement. So we can't just say that is violent, so you shouldn't do that. Violence against property, to me, is not violence. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's an open discussion, <laughs> I think, in the movement. Yeah. But here in Italy, we, we are... We are struggling with that. Okay. So a bit more about insectionals then. Um, the collective was formed because people wanted to be able to act more independently and in accordance with kind of more direct action, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our collective is non-hierarchical and based on volunteers that are not only radical but also intersectional mm -hmm. so this is a big topic to talk about because in Italy there isn't a consistent anti-oppression approach there are just individuals that talk about uh, intersectionality and how other fights are linked to animal rights, for example. Mm -hmm. okay. so we started here about what we experienced and the, the group is a collective based yes, of, on local activism. So what do we do? We help sanctuaries um, because we recognize sanctuaries as places of resistance. Mm. And that's because we recognize non-human animals as resistance because they are the center of the movement and their resistance is political and a lot of groups today in the movement, so not um, not only in Italy, um, they talk about an apolitical approach, and we think it's not 
is not good mm. because um, animal rights is based on um, social recognition and that is emancipation that is uh, claiming for rights. So it's political. Mm. Yeah. So from the big groups and from the vegan influencers, even though sometimes they like use the word rights, like say, oh, you know, you don't have the right to be cruel to an animal. They haven't made that connection that if you're going to be campaigning for rights, that it is obviously that's a, yeah, that's a political act. But they want to try and make it out like it's non-political. I think because being political could be bad for their business. You know, I'm thinking of some some of the, you know, obviously the more well-known groups, if they have to state a position on their politics, it means that uh, they will, they can't keep it open to just anyone who wants to come along. Yeah. Which means they'll, they'll, they'll not be able to sell as much merchandise. Yeah. And have as many world tours and things like that. But the other thing you mentioned as well is um, about it being saviorist or human centric. Yeah. And I think that's another problem that you've also picked up on, which is about how a lot of the talk in the movement is about like compassion and seeing the non human animals as victims, like all the time. What do you think about that in terms of anti speciesism? Yeah, I think that talking about empathy, compassion, and animals that are suffering is not the good focus for animal rights because you are centering humans and how humans see non-human animals and not you are not centering them, the real center of the movement that's non-human animals. So anti-speciesism is about rights, social recognition, and not empathy. It's not how we feel about them. The point is Mm. they need to be liberated and to have equal rights and Mm. a new position in our society. So this is the point, not how we see them, how we feel bad for them, mm. etc. I think it's kind about animal welfare, not rights. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's all about our emotions, and it's 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 bizarre when you see. Um, I mean, I guess it's like kind of the simplest form of trying to get people to start caring about animals but i i even hate the way they say caring yeah you know and why love one but eat the other and this kind of stuff it's just like i mean also love is very like subjective you know the save movement have like they say a love-based approach i mean what is a love-based approach you know, how can you build a strategy of a love-based approach? Yeah, it, it's based on humans and how humans 
um, experience what animals are living, but yeah, it's based on humans, not on non-human individuals. Mm. And only this approach, like human center, I think it's a wrong interpretation of what animal rights is. And of course, talking about empathy, compassion, it's accessible for everyone. And that's why big groups do it mm. because everyone could talk about emotions, okay, feelings, mm. but talking about how the system makes us oppressed, it's a new step. It's another level. And uh, maybe that could bother people that are not used to think about topics like ethic is mm -hmm. maybe people that don't ask questions to themselves mm. i think it, it's difficult to to find yeah people that are always in the position to criticize um not only the system but also themselves too Mm -hmm. this is not for everyone yeah you've got a good point there i think once we we start questioning it we have to address our own human privilege yeah and that kind of that's that entails a lot of like self-awareness and i guess it can be uncomfortable when you really start thinking about what you might need to change you know to really start having an effect on making making space for non-human animals in the world. Yeah. If we move on then to the manifesto for insectionals, the first point is you'd kind of covered it um, a little bit already, which is about horizontality and mutual support. So it says, uh, we believe that the cooperation and union between individuals are the only valid forms of collective support that are able to carry out radical and intersectional anti-speciesist policies, theories, and practices. Yeah. And I guess you've, you've kind of explained before about the larger groups having a hierarchy. So is there any other thoughts you had on why it's better to work in a horizontal way? Yeah. We think that with self-awareness, everyone should um, make decisions. And in a group, we can't just have one person that decides for all the others because we think that will be like um, fascist, kind of fascist. If we think about one person that has power, we think about that, it's tyranny. Mm. And we are for self-empowerment. So we think we, we could just make decisions together with nobody above all the others. Mm -hmm. 
just because people can decide for the group and they must be heard. And this is a thing that in big groups doesn't exist because when you are like, um, you don't agree about something, some approach, they just tell you mm. that they have always acted in that way. So it's like, mm, okay, it's good what you have to say, but you have to agree with with our manifesto. So mm. we don't like that approach. We mm-hmm. think it's ignoring people's needs. Yeah. For me, when I think about groups that operate in a hierarchical way, they're not really going to change society because part of what we're doing is is liberating people as well. And so we need to hear from everyone in the group or everyone who has should have a say. And so if you create a hierarchy in your group, you're just like creating a mirror image of what's happening in a capitalist society. So it seems like yeah. it just it just replicates that power structure. Um, so it's not really towards liberation at all. Yeah, also non-hierarchical groups last longer because they are stronger, because people know what is self-empowerment, self-awareness. So nobody can decide for them because they are autonomous. Mm. Yeah, okay. So moving on to the second part of the manifesto then, it's the denormalization and linguistic deconstruction of speciesism. So this is about the language used when we speak about non-human animals. I think we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier when we were talking about compassion and the way that the vegan movement talks about the animals as uh, victims and things like that. Is there anything else, like, would you have an example of something else um, in how we denormalize speciesism? You know, uh, language is based about what people think. In fact, when humans and also other animals, okay, because all animals have language, but when humans started to learn how to speak, okay, how to communicate with, with others, it all comes from what you think. Then you have the need to um, say what you think to others. And that's why languages is important. Because if you speak with speciesist language, it means you also think it, okay? Mm-hmm. The system is eradicated also in words and how we how we speak, how we talk about some topic. Mm. So the denormalization of what oppressions are, it's important because if we eradicate the oppression in language, it's also another step for liberation. We have to liberate ourselves to liberate others and it comes from also language. 
Okay, so number three is supporting intersectional information. So it says, today's means of information built around an oppressive culture promote a communication based on dualisms and exclusivisms. Dismantling such a language is only possible when one is fully conscious and aware of the social, cultural, and economic system they live in. Yeah, intersectional information, it's about our instance of intersectionality because we think that all the, the oppressions are connected in a deep way. So all the oppressions we know we fight against belong to the same system. So the problem is the system. Mm. And we can't just focus on a single issue approach because oppressions are a consequence consequence of the system but mm. if we focus on the system then we clearly can see all the um, all the roots of it so it's not just about animal rights because animal rights are connected also with feminism also with ableism and so on capitalism so bringing clear information with public education that could be more easy to dismantle mm. is in that sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think then when we're talking about public education, probably what we're lacking is exactly what you're talking about, that recognizing that there are links between the oppressions and we need to challenge the whole system. Because I think a lot of the time when people see animal rights campaigns, they really just think it's purely about animals. It's nothing to do with humans. Yeah. So a lot of them will just not pay attention at all. Yeah. Because they'll think, well, you know, th those are people who care about animals so much that they go and like do all these crazy things like, um, you know, smash butcher yeah. shop windows and things like that either that or they're like judgmental vegans who are going to tell me i shouldn't be eating cheese or whatever so maybe if we present a more a more rounded picture but still managing to keep that the non-human animals at the center yeah. i guess that's the difficult part that you know you want to make it people understand how it's all linked but not not sideline anyone yeah also, it's because of privilege that people don't pay attention about animal rights and bringing um, an intersectional message could be useful because, first of all, oppressions are connected, mm -hmm. as I said, but also for people to recognize to be oppressors it could be helpful mm. for them okay it's more like if you are not victim of some something maybe maybe if you are not um if you are not black if you are not a girl if you are mm -hmm. non if you are not non-binary you don't experience oppression mm -hmm. so 
in some ways it's difficult for you to recognize being an oppressor. Yeah. That's an interesting one, how to get people to understand and start dismantling their own privilege. I think that's like the key. I guess there's lots of different ways to do it. It's not just one answer, but I feel like there's not a lot of focus put in that direction. So number four is the recognition of the political resistance of non-human animal people through sanctuaries. Yeah. So I'd be interested to hear about that, how you how you consider that sanctuaries can be places of resistance. Since non-human animals act in a political way, like resisting, uh, fighting, defending themselves and others, this is how they become like from numbers in farms, they become individuals in sanctuaries. Of course, sanctuaries are not our end goal. Mm. It's like they are um, a temporary solution, but still the, the, the existence of sanctuaries and non-human animals liberated and living in sanctuaries. This is an act of resistance because they can live free and be themselves. They can express their individuality, desires, and all, all themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is not happening in farms, in cages. They are annihilated. They they are not individuals, because mm. strategies of dominion also keep them quiet, and it's not easy also to to resist, mm-hmm. Be- because like in it's an an example um, tactics of um, of annihilation were experienced before on animals, on non-human animals. Mm-hmm. And then, for example, uh, during uh, the Second World War, how to, to turn individuals into objects, into free work for concentration camps, for example, it all comes from tactics that have been studied on non-human individuals. So this is a point also um, Stephen Best talks about Mm -hmm. how we used also non-humans to dominate humans too. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, like uh, police dogs, horses used in wars. So many animals probably when you think about it now. Okay, yeah, so... I can understand that a sanctuary is a, a place of resistance because that's where those non-humans can be fully liberated themselves just just to express who they are. Yeah. And also it's like a physical space that's a resistance to the system because it's the only space. There's only these small little spaces in the world where where those non-humans can be truly 
uh, free, right? Yeah. So we've moved on to number five then. Number five is supporting direct action as active co-resistance. So I think you'd, you'd mentioned, we discussed a little bit before about nonviolence versus violence and yeah. direct action. So this is about being allies and accomplices to support the struggles of the non-human animals then. Yeah, and non-hierarchical approach. Mm. So we are always talking about this, how we um, can be allies and mm, not centering ourselves as humans in the movement with an, with, um, an approach of mutual support mm. and also to, to liberate animals to end the suffering. So, yeah, so how do you think you would do that then? <laughs> like, how do you keep the non-human animals at the center of it? I guess maybe one of the ways is by not being, like, so public about your actions, maybe. I think one of the problems within the movement is also talking about animals okay when you talk about animals animals are the object of the discussion and this is why we uh, we decided to bring an approach based on direct actions because mm -hmm. during a liberation non-human individuals are the center of the discussion they are those that are speaking so you are just here to to help them to support them so we're finished with the manifesto then so if there's a strong focus on direct action which doesn't involve the public how do we educate the public if we're not doing outreach as we think pacifism is a privileged approach so promoting and su supporting direct action instead as it is the best way we can make concrete our beliefs about non-hierarchical fight we are also for a new approach for education we think that educating the public could be done in schools, places of education. So mm. not only high schools, but even universities. This is so important to spread the message from a different level. No more outreach about empathy and compassion, which is not what anti-speciesism is about, but rights. So... The focus is about rights. In Milan, for example, we, we have human animal studies in the University of Milan. Mm -hmm. So human animal studies is a subject about animal rights, uh, but teachers and philosophers are 
always inside small circles. So we think they could give much more for education if we only let them do that. Street activism is accessible for everyone, but mm. arguments are always weak because people try to promote uh, vegan options. Mm. And also that implies uh, privilege and white veganism. So it is uh, an open discussion. Mm. So ignoring other topics, we don't think methods our methods are the best ones, but we needed a change for something different and truly efficient. Mm. During an outreach, a person can talk almost with 10 people each time. Okay, so during two mm. or maybe three hours a month. So can you imagine how could we talk actually about animals and not vegan options and other oppressions linked, connected to anti-speciesism, how we could be um, more effective if we'd take those two or maybe three hours a month educating 40 or more people each time. Mm. So it will be powerful because the, um, those two or three hours could involve more people and talking about the right argument that is about mm. rights, not vegan options. Yeah, and also the thing is it would be like a structured learning. Yeah. It wouldn't course. just be kind of randomly talking to any stranger who comes up on the street. Of course. Yeah, so it, it, it amazes me how little time we've spent really trying to get into the institutions of education. Like, I know it's going to be difficult, but like people are obviously starting off from very early days in school. Yeah. They become indoctrinated right the way through. So if we really want to bring about change in consciousness, we've got to give people a different education yeah yeah i i agree i think the topic um anti-speciesism is not easy of course but if we need to challenge the system to uh, to fight against it we need to learn and we we always learn so we need to focus more on education for ourselves, but also for others. And we think just talking randomly about um, empathy and compassion is more accessible. It is, but it's not the point. So the point is social recognition is emancipation so we need to to focus on that to mm. to bring the discussion at another level mm -hmm. and on a, and on a larger scale not yeah. not just individual to individual yeah okay that actually brings us on to thinking about um the theories 
that we're using, or I suppose the philosophy. Um, so a lot of the philosophy of the animal rights movement, I think, is very kind of stuck in the past, maybe. And I know you and I had discussed previously the issues with Peter Singer yeah. and Tom Reagan. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, let's start with Singer. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's an open discussion. I think that people are focused on Peter Singer and Tom Reagan uh, rhetorics, and that's why it isn't always so effective because they used to talk about empathy and the ability to feel pain. Singer, for example, for example, bases his theories about the ability to feel pain, joy, etc. But uh, thinking about pain as we, as humans, can feel it. So the theory of, uh, of Singer is centering humans and not non-human animals. He centers humans in the discussion, silencing the experience of all the thousands of species that actually exist. Reagan follows the argument about feelings and he focuses his theory on mammals, again, because they are more like humans than all the other species. And sometimes he lets the talk open for fish. So to talk like this, mm. uh, he excludes, cuts off all the variety of life, replacing the binarism humans, animals with mammals and other animals. And also he is assuming that some animals are privileged and all the others uh, are silenced. So it's not about animal rights mm -hmm. because you are cutting off the discussion a lot of individuals mm. and excluding some non-human individuals just because it will be a hard topic to talk about is a bit for privilege. Please be aware of the content warning for the next section. Julia refers to rape in the context of oppressive language. Yeah, so ultimately then, Reagan and Singer are not really maybe a good basis for anti-speciesist advocacy because a lot of their concepts could be seen to be speciesist anyway. So we need something different if we're wanting to really push forward, right? Yeah, um, I think... Uh, like Carol J. Adams could be useful, not only because she talks about animal rights and feminism, so intersectionality, but also because she talks about how, uh, how language is important. Hmm. So if we think also how, um, of what we said before, 
about the importance of language, how uh, how language could be effective but also oppressive. Mm. She offers a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. Also, when we talk about the topic, for example, some words can be oppressive, like rape, because it cuts everything about, for example, the life of of cows. Okay, mm-hmm. the word rape centers um, all the cow's life to that single episode and is not focusing um, instead of the um, of the cyclic traumas non-human animals have to face in their lives so it's reducing a whole life to a single episode and that is also not um, a feminist approach because because yes we we are not um, we are not objects so mm. our life couldn't be uh, reduced only to that we are not we are more than that we are more than we suffer and that is the point about Carol J Adams is not only her theory based on the sexual politics of meat, but also um, maybe Stephen Best could be useful to to learn better about um, intersectionality because he links oppressions. Mm. He talks about systemic oppression and that is important. So I think that the last bit we were going to talk about was really about can we be fully anti-speciesist? And you'd, you'd mentioned something when we last spoke about how, you know, an anarchist isn't living in an anarchist society, but can still take an anarchist approach. Okay. So that's like kind of total liberation thinking. So can we really ever be fully anti-speciesist then? I think it's important to remember that we we won't see anything we are fighting for in our life so we must um, accept that we won't see the fruits of our work considering for example anarchism anti-capitalism and also anti-speciesism as approaches as it is possible and practicable Considering them and supporting them uh, in our fight, uh, it is a need that we have today and that we should we should support because we are living in the present, dealing with the current system. But we should talk about the future, uh, of course, because we are fighting and building what we want to see tomorrow. So, yeah, I think that today um, anti-capitalism, anarchism, and anti-speciesism 
they are today one thing, but maybe tomorrow they will mean something else because each era has different needs. It's it's different, okay? Mm-hmm. So we know we can be perfect, mm-hmm. but that shouldn't stop us. We know what is right. And if we are wrong, a day in the future, other people will deal with that. But today we can still focus on some topics that are an open discussion. Mm-hmm. I think that nothing wrong with it that doesn't affect how, uh, how we are, mm-hmm. how much we are anarchists or anti-capitalist. Of course, we need compromises, but it's not a limit. Mm. It's just um, knowing that we, we live in the present and the present has some needs. Maybe tomorrow will be different. Yeah, so that's interesting. So it's like um, we're basically preparing for the future but we do that by dealing with the, the issues that we can deal with today. Yeah, not only not only what we experience today, but we must recognize that we won't see the fruits of our work. So we are building the future. Mm. So how do people stay inspired then if we know we're not going to see the liberation that we're working t- towards? Yeah, um, we don't fight for ourselves. We mm-hmm. fight because it is right. It's the right thing to do. And not because we can have something back, something uh that that can um make us happy okay that's not the point we are not the point the point is what is right and what we think could be useful to do for another day in the future another society 